of the book of Romans, and we're in, looking at Romans chapter 8 today, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, who all saw the movie last year called Elvis? It just it was called Elvis. Did anybody see this movie? It was really good. Like, I was impressed with Elvis, the, the movie, obviously. Um, you know, he passed away when he was 42. That was like, wow, it makes me feel old. I'm 44. Um, I didn't know that, but I didn't know a lot about his life before I watched this movie, and uh, I think most of it's relatively true because the family signed off on it. Um, it was just phenomenal. I thought it was really well done. And a big part of the movie is this interplay between Elvis and his manager, Colonel Parker. And, uh, and I knew famously that you know, Elvis did this residency in Las Vegas and all that. But what I didn't know was that Parker had a gambling addiction. And he really used Elvis as a cash cow to sort of continue in his, his, uh, his addiction. And that's one reason why he set up this residency in this Vegas casino, you know. Uh, and it got me thinking that, you know, that guy, he lived according to this debt. He had this debt over his head, and he listened to it, right? He sort of marched to the beat of that debt, and, 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 it, and it drove everything he did. It drove his business decisions. It drove his personal decisions. And it drove his, the most fundamental one was his relationship with Elvis, and it dictated that too, uh, to the point where he paid the price, and Elvis paid the price, in many ways as well. In some ways, it's a very bittersweet story of just a talented, wonderful man uh, that really lost his way in so many ways, uh, and somewhat in part to his manager. You know, when you, live in, uh, when you live according to this debt that's over your head, when you march to the beat of, of a debt, you're a slave to that debt, right? Uh, you, that's what you obey. That's the voice you listen to. It drives everything you do, whether you like it or not. And in Romans 8, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about don't live into your sinful nature. You don't, you don't obey your sinful nature. And he, he sort of unpacks that. And what he's really, he's, all, he's kind of saying is, don't li- don't, you're, you're, you're no longer under debt anymore to your sinful nature. Don't listen to it. You're not a slave to that any longer. So don't march to that beat. Now, of course, the Bible says that people are born into the world with a sin debt. We're born into the world as sinners, and we are unable to pay that debt. Now, a lot of us, this is knowledge we know, but sometimes I like to include this for anyone that maybe you're just the un- uninitiated. You don't really understand the gospel. You've never heard this good news before. And it is good news to hear Romans 3.23, for example, that all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is a sin debt that we are unable to pay on our own ability. So what did God do? He became sin for us. Jesus had no sin, He's the son of God. He's God in flesh. He has no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So because of God's Christ's sacrifice for all people, we are pardoned or justified in the sight of God because of what he has done on our behalf. He paid the debt that we were unable to pay on our own. And what John Wesley defined justification, he really just said, it's another word for pardon. It's another word for being pardoned. It's forgiveness of all your sins and everything that's implied. It's, it's full acceptance with God because of what Christ did on your behalf. And you receive that justification by faith. In many ways, he said it's like a doorway that people step through and receive this new nature that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin debt. He sees the Son of God that you receive by faith into your life. And the result of that is that people can have peace with God. 
You can have peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. This is the great privilege and proclamation of the church universal that we get to proclaim to you and all people your sins can be forgiven and you can have peace with God. Your debt is paid. You don't, people can no, are no longer enemies with God but are friends with God. You are, you are justified by faith. And when you are born again in that way, your sanctification begins. And this is where this is where we find ourselves in Romans chapter eight. Paul is addressing people who understand this. They have gotten to that point. They know that Christ is the son of God. They, are, they know they are justified in the sight of God because of what Christ has done for them. And Paul is speaking about, here's how you work out this good news you have received for yourself, right? Here's how you walk in this. Here's what this looks like for your daily life. The struggling with sin. And he's telling them, you're gonna, we're gonna read, you're no longer a slave to sin and fear and death, your sinful nature. You don't have to obey any of those things any longer. That you, in a sense, are debt-free. So this passage is really good in that it reminds people, especially Christians, of your fundamental identity, of who you are, of who the, who the Bible says you are. And it's so important to be reminded of this because we forget. Starting in verse 12. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature um, urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, that's a term of intimacy, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. That last sentence is really important, and we'll get to that shortly. Um, that we, you know, Walking with Jesus isn't always gonna be easy. It doesn't make all your problems go away. Um, but it is a reminder of our fundamental identity that we are heirs, that we are adopted into God's family. But this got me, I got me thinking about the early 1980s, uh, and a lot of us remember these days. Do you remember, like in the 1980s, literally everything was either brown or yellow or green or orange. That was pretty much it. That was the color palette, very earthy, kind of funky. I kind of miss it, you know? I wish we would kind of get back to that in some ways. And everybody was smoking cigarettes, like even doctors in operating rooms are smoking cigarettes, like Perry Mason and, or something, I don't know. Like smoke in the mall, you could smoke in the hospital. My childhood memories of holidays is literally just walking through clouds. I'm like this tall and I'm just, it's like London fog. Like everyone is, literally everyone is smoking. Um, like what separated the smoking sections in Cracker Barrel was like an antique photo in a, in a wheelbarrow. Like that's all. That's all you had. You know, everything is smoking <laughs> back then. Like, there's no non-smoking section. Um, and the early 80s, you know, there's some things that maybe died and never came back, like toilet seat covers. I'm glad these never returned. <laughs> but maybe we should bring that back just to have some texture to your bathroom experience. I'm not sure. Now, we never had the full encasement of the toilet uh, back part or whatever that's called. <laughs> we never had that, but we did have the things on top of the seats. Remember these? And carpet in the bathroom. That was a thing. Thank goodness that went away um, for many reasons. Uh, 
And, and everyone had this couch. And if you didn't have this couch, you knew someone who did. Seriously, right? If you didn't have this couch, you knew someone who did. And some people even put plastic over it. Like it needed to be preserved. Like what? Why? Now, if you, I've worked in churches for a long time, and people still try to give churches these things. Put it in the youth room. Let the kids mess it up, you know. But everyone had that couch. Now, I remember being home with my mother in the mornings while she's doing housework and stuff, and every morning we watched The Price is Right at 11 a.m., right, with Bob Barker. And I have hit the age where people finally understand why people were so happy to win an appliance. I'm officially there. Because people would win these, you know, a refrigerator, it was brown, or you win a, a washing machine and it was yellow. And I'd be like, what? Who cares? It's so boring. Who wants to win an appliance? But we like these shows, like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or whatever, or the lottery. You know, it, it taps into this desire we have to have our debt be paid, right? That, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, sure. If I won the lottery, what would I do, you know? If I just had a little bit more, or, or if someone would just come pay all my debts off, then I'll be better, then I'll be happy. You know, imagine if someone came up to you, if you have significant debt, and they came up to you and said, I'm going to pay for your mortgage, I'm going to pay for your car, I'm going to pay for your student loans, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover it all, right? Imagine if this person e existed. Is this person here today, by the way? Are you here? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Joking, but, but imagine if this person came to you and said, debt-free, and what if they did that, and you continue to live fiscally as if they never had paid your debt? You continue to walk in this place of fretting about payments and all these sort of things. Imagine if like, the enormity of the gift they gave you still wasn't quite registering right, in your world. It's sort of like being told you can fly, but then you go home and walk. It's like, Kierkegaard gave a great illustration, this famous thing called, the, called Duck Church, where imagine you've got little ducks walking to church and they're wearing ties, and that's kind of cute, and they're wearing ties and coats and stuff, and they go into their duck church and the, and the duck preacher gets up and he reads from the duck Bible, and he says to them, ducks, God has given you wings, wings with you can fly, you can soar like eagles, like Isaiah said, no walls can confine you, and all the ducks said, amen, and then they all waddled home. You know, it's sort of like Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, he's saying to his people, he's saying to them, you can fly. So why are you walking? Your, your debt has been paid for. So why do you live as if you're still under slavery to it? You don't have to obey your sinful nature anymore, Paul says. And yet people, Christians, still continue to do it. He's, he's saying the Spirit can help put to death the deeds of our sinful nature, that in Christ we are no longer in debt. He paid the debt. And he's like saying to his audience, are you going to listen to the voice of the lender or are you going to listen to the voice of the one who paid the debt? And it's a fundamental decision people have to make. But what is the one, the one who paid your debt? What does he have to say? Read throughout scripture. It's all Jesus. It's all God's voice. Like Isaiah 43, I have called you by name. He's speaking to Israel, but he's speaking to all people. You are mine. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. When you pass through the waters, it will not harm you. He's saying, you are not second class to me, right? He's saying, I've adopted you into my family. 
This is the fundamental part of who you are. Like, let my spirit affirm within you that you are heirs to this inheritance of eternity I want to give you. So don't be slaves any longer to this debt that you think you I have to repay yourself, that you can't pay. And I already paid it. It's sort of like, there's two points I'll make here. It's listen to the spirit, that's what Paul says, and then uh, remember your adoption papers. So we would say listen to the spirit in Romans 8. Paul is sort of like, remember that game in the arcade called Whack-A-Mole? You don't see it anymore, probably with good reason, because it's pretty, it's pretty monotonous experience. But yeah, this one thing pops up, and you whack it, and then another thing pops up. It's always something, right? And you just kind of go for 30 seconds until it's over, but it never seems to end. That part of the Christian experience can feel like that. It can feel like we're just whacking. We're pushing one thing down, and it pops another thing up. I dealt with this thing that's bothering me that continues to be a troublesome you know, thorn in my flesh. And then that says, if it's not one thing, it's something else. And John Stott said that what this means is Christians are called to a ruthless rejection of all practices we know to be wrong, a daily repentance, turning from all sin of habit, of practice, of association, or thought. Or as Paul would say later in the New Testament, take every thought captive to Christ. Now Paul would call anything, any kind of mindset or, or way of thinking that's contrary to the will of God, Paul would call that a stronghold. And sometimes that's confusing to people. But what Paul is saying is there can be ways that we have been brought up, ways that we think that feel correct, but it's not the will of God. It's not necessarily right. It's just how we think. But it's not in accordance with scripture or anything like that. Like Jeff gives this great illustration where he said when he was growing up, he was taught that you can't eat dairy products and fish at the same meal. Like that's just what they believed. And so they never had milk and a piece of cod or something at the same dinner table because they thought it would make them sick. Now, is that true? No, it's not true. But we had this stronghold, right? This like stereotype or this way of thinking that we think is so true. And Paul is saying here, any kind of habit or practice or thought, hold everything captive to Christ and hold it in light of Scripture. And when we hear this kind of passage in Romans 8, we tend to think, um, gosh, I better, I better uh, do better for Jesus. You know? But that's not really what, like for example, when we hear Paul say things like repentance, re- reject the sinful nature and all of that, it, sometimes we hear that and we think, Oh, I gotta repent. I gotta feel bad about myself. I gotta flagellate myself or something. I have to, you know, pay some indulgences or something like that. And, but it's not true. Like repentance is actually awesome. It's awesome because what it means is is that God's not done with you, right? It means that God's not done with me. Like the scary place to be spiritually is if I don't ever feel any shame or need to repent of anything right? That's called, you get close to being a Pharisee. <laughs> and there are, you can become a Pharisee no matter what your, your beliefs are. We can, we can deviate to those places where you think, I'm perfect now. I'm no longer in need of sanctification, right? Or you get sort of passive in your spiritual life. Um, no, repentance is awesome because it means that God has not given up on you. It means that he's shaping you. He's molding you. He's with you. And he's holy. 
So he's kind of uncompromising in that way, but he loves you enough not to leave you where you are. I mean, this is why Wesleyans, we talk about the means of grace, these mediums through which the, 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 that God communicates his grace most clearly, so through things like the Lord's Supper, or prayer, or confession, or repentance, or Bible study, et cetera, et cetera. Like, when we put ourselves in those positions, we are in those positions so that we can receive the grace of God in those places, almost like the stream of God's presence is communicated through those means. That's why, we, that's why we always say we need to be in those places. You're in worship, that's another means of grace. Or in a small group, or, or what have you. So that's one thing that Paul says, listen to the Spirit, is that the Spirit may uh, do that in our lives, but it's always for our good, it's always for our growth, uh, to mold his character in you. Uh, and, um, and then secondly, remember your adoption papers. When we hear this passage, it's so important to remember that it's not just about, um, like I said, beating yourself up and doing better. That's a bit of the cart ahead of the horse. It's Paul's really is saying, um, remember to whom you belong. And if you remember to whom you belong, all the other stuff falls in line, right? If you remember the fundamental relationship of love with God, all of the holy living stuff just sort of comes naturally. Right, when Paul says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, he's, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of that's connected to love, right? Like, you, you can't suck at patience but be great at love. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's all connected. It's out of love that all those things come. And um, so when he talks about Remember your adoption papers. He's sort of saying, remember to whom you belong. Remember this inheritance you have received. Now as Gentiles, uh, we are all grafted into the, the, the family of God. We've all been given this gift. And that's why it was such a, uh, a, uh, a big deal in the first century to have non-Jews become part of the church. The, the, the gospel, God was saying, I've come for the whole world. Uh, I've come for everyone. And I'm not going to stop, you know. But, you know, all are loved of God. And, but Paul makes a distinction here. Pull back up Romans 8, that, the second screen of it, where he talks about um, being received as a son or a daughter of God. Uh, that his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. John Wesley liked to preach on this a lot because people forget this truth. Christians can forget to be, that you can be affirmed that you are God's child. Now, people that are outside of the Christian faith, God loves them, but I'm not, I'm not, they're not necessarily children of God yet. But you can become a child of God when you receive this spirit of inheritance, of adoption, of realizing you're an heir of, of God. In fact, with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Here we realize that our identity is a supernatural work of the Spirit. And there will be moments in our lives when we feel it's difficult to grasp onto that, we can t- tendency to forget it or think that promise is for someone else or we lapse into places of sin and then it leads you in- into a place of doubt about that fundamental truth of your identity. But assurance of your salvation, assurance of your place in God's family, assurance of your place in eternity, that is God speaking to you his promise. That's God saying to you, 
I love that song. I will never, gonna, he's never going to let you down, right? He's never going to let you go. And it's just part of that fundamental relationship. And sometimes we can forget that we talk about a relationship with God. Um, and it's so important to remember that relationship, that we're adopted into that family. It's sort of like, imagine you're in high school again. Uh, maybe some of you don't want to do that. I don't know. But imagine you're in high school again, and you... Uh, you're going to school every morning, and your mother is at the kitchen table, and she's drinking coffee and reading the paper. And for the first few weeks of going to school, you kiss her goodbye, right? Goodbye, Mom. I'll have a good day. See you later, you know? And let's say as the weeks go by, you just start to, uh, you just start to go out the door. You just, you just walk away. Like, you don't even pretend she's there, right? What would happen to that relationship? You might fall in some rocky times, right? You can't ignore her, but the relationship will suffer. Now, you're still a member of her family. That will never change. That will never be undone. But our actions can change. The relationship will suffer. Being a child of God is just that. It's not broken off instantly, but if, if you don't tend to it, if you, don't, if you don't sit in a place where you can hear his voice wash over you on a devotional level, you can tend to have this sort of slow fade of the spiritual life. And, and the devil loves the slow fade. Because he's never going to come at you overnight. It's always this, this slow compromise, like boiling a frog or whatever, that old, that old chestnut that people pull out. I mixed my metaphor, sorry. But, you know, it's that slow fade where some people, when you don't tend to your spiritual life, you, the months can go by, and you, then you look back and go, how in the world did I get to this place? You, you just forget. You move these sort of incremental places, and, you, and, and God never went anywhere. You know, he was always at the kitchen table. He was always patiently waiting right there, never going to let you go, never going to let you down. But people, we have a tendency to, um, to replace this fundamental truth that you are an adopted son and daughter of God, that you can live by the Spirit, that God wants you to grow in your faith, and these truths of God tend to get replaced by other beliefs. And it's this insidious thing where if we don't tend to what God says about who you are, then they, then they eventually get replaced with lies. They eventually get replaced with things that just aren't true. And see, I always say this to people, who you are is not who other people say you are. Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is not where you've been. That your fundamental, who you are fundamentally is who God says you are. Amen? It's who God says you are. And nothing's ever going to change that. That at the end of our day, that God hasn't just wiped out our debt, as great as that is, as amazing as that is, our sin debt. But he embraces you and gives you a new nature. It's like that story of, of the prodigal son that we all know so well. And, and the, the prodigal son gets a lot, of, a lot of attention in that story. But we forget that the father in that story, well, for one, there's a spoiled brat at home who wants his inheritance, who wants his father to die so that he can get what's coming to him. We forget about that part too, but we'll talk about that later. But the father is, what, what is the father doing? He's looking at the horizon line and he's waiting to see his son come across the line. 
God waits for people to return to him. And not only that, but he also pursues them at the same time. That if you looked at your hands and you look at your fingerprints, there is not another you that will ever exist. That you are fundamentally unique. Like, that blows my mind. If there was another me walking around, that, I'd, I'd, be kind of, I'd be kind of creepy, actually. But there is, there is no one like you that has ever existed. So like when Jesus says stuff like, the very hairs on your head are numbered, he's talking about that God has such an intimate understanding of who you are. He fully understands your life. He fully sees the timeline of your whole existence. He knows you better than you know yourself. So when we talk about remember your adoption papers, live into the spirit, remember that your debt is paid. Continue to grow into the truth of that. And it's just something to be celebrated. It's something to walk in the freedom of. And so as we sing this final song, and we invite, of course, always people to come forward and pray if you wish to pray. Um, if you have sin that you're wrestling with and you need prayer for, please come forward and let us be in prayer for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the gift of your mercy. Thank you, God, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And I pray for anyone that's walking in a place of, of a lot of debt. They feel this heaviness, this weight on their life that they can't seem to escape. Jesus, that you are the, you are the one who forgives sin. And that in you there is freedom of sin. So God, I pray for your spirit to move here and now in the hearts of your people. And for all of us to be assured that we are sons and daughters of, of, of yours. And that no lie of the enemy uh, can replace that. So God, help us live into that truth, the fundamental identity of who you say we are. Holy Spirit, rain down. Rain down with fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh water, living water. Restore us, God. As you know, we are made of dust. Life is hard. We get worn down. Refresh us and renew us. Lord, this is your will for your church, for all people to know that there's freedom in your presence. Amen.